This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 17, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Obamacare's path from an idea to legislation to its ultimate survival of a constitutional challenge is a dramatic story, told in Josh Blackman's new book, Unprecedented. He spoke at the Cato Institute in September. Why is this law so unprecedented? Well, there are a number of firsts. One first, never before in the 20th century has Congress tried to pass a law of such significance in a straight party line vote. The president made the determination that he did not need any Republican support to pass this law, just get the votes, we'll be done with it. We saw later that that would not be the case because you need other support when the law is implemented, but this was a straight party line vote. It was also unprecedented. Never before had Congress forced people to buy a commercial product. There have been some laws about making people in the militia get rifles and things like that, but this was a unique law that forced people to do something. And never before has a constitutional argument developed so quickly, so rapidly, with so much significance, and spread all the way to the Supreme Court less than two years. Uh, my, my good friend Randy is uh, one of the key progenitors, and also Ilya as well. Uh, they dedicate their lives tirelessly to spreading this argument. But it's remarkable to look back. And actually, the title for the book came from you know, an offhand quip I made. So uh, Randy took to using the word unprecedented very often. He said, this law is unprecedented, it's unprecedented, unprecedented. And I made a joke saying we should have a Randy Barnett drinking game, where every time we say unprecedented, we take a shot. <laughs> and uh, it stuck. But Randy said that that was one of the moments where it crystallized in his mind that this had salience. The idea that this law, which forces people to do something, triggered something in the American populace. Because this case wasn't just about the pure constitution, not, not just these, the, the, this fine bound volume. It's also about the people. The people in various social movements, such as the Tea Party and other groups, had an aversion to this law. And it wasn't just on policy grounds. They weren't just saying, we don't like this because we think it's going to destroy our economy. They said, we don't like this because it violates the constitution. We actually had people protesting not too far from here with, with signs saying, overturn Wickard v. Filburn, with signs saying, we need to enforce the constitution. This law unintentionally engendered such a strong constitutional response, a backlash even, that I don't think anyone anticipated. And this law also served, I think, as a litmus test for where the American people are with respect to the Constitution. Now, that's all kind of the, the high flutin ideas. But the actual story of this case is fascinating. And I will run through it abbreviated to make sure we have enough time for our uh, distinguished co-panelists to speak. The idea of the mandate is actually quite old. Uh, uh, our good friends at Heritage actually proposed in the late 80s. Uh, and some of you might recall that in 1993, uh, Ed Crane, uh, former president of Cato, sent a letter to Ed Fulmer saying, hey, the thing's unconstitutional. Um, there was actually an event uh, where uh, Stuart Butler, who invented the mandate, uh, was, was, didn't come. And Ed Crane joked, uh, I guess we couldn't mandate him to come. <laughs> so the history of this goes back quite a long way. And for many years, Republicans actually supported the idea of the mandate. They said, we think this is a good you know, free market alternative. But Cato, for many years, said, no, this is not free market. It's coercion. Fast forward to 2009, after President Obama was elected, he basically co-opted Hillary Clinton's health care plan, this was her idea, made it his own, and he said, we will have Obamacare, we will have a mandate. We are going to force people to buy health insurance. Why? Well, it's not fair that all these young and healthy people are free riding on the system, that they can wait to buy health care until they're sick, and you know, they're not going to uh, pay into the system. So they had this law called Obamacare. The problem was it was unconstitutional. I'm sorry, it was, uncon it was unconstitutional, but it was unpopular. Very unpopular. So unpopular that not a single Republican supported it, not one. 
So the president made a call. He said, you know what? We'll go straight 60 votes. We will just pass it through on party lines. Whatever happens later, we don't care, like Syria. So this happened. You can sense a pattern. This was early on. So you can sense a pattern. But something happened. Senator Ted Kennedy died. He was the 60th vote in the Senate. And after Ted Kennedy died, who replaced him? A Republican in Massachusetts. Imagine that, Scott Brown. Scott Brown replaced Ted Kennedy. And with that, the Democrats lost their filibuster-proof majority. OK, so what happens now? They don't have a majority. They send it to the House. Nancy Pelosi had to effectively pass the bill from the Senate. But she wanted to make some changes, and not just some changes, a lot of changes. But if she were to make any changes, as our separation of powers works, it would have to go back to the Senate. But the Democrats were afraid. Once they send it back to the Senate, it will be shut down by a filibuster. So the House did these shenanigans. I won't get into it. But they had this reconciliation process where they changed the law. They basically rewrote a lot of parts. And they passed it on a straight party line vote. In fact, about 34 Republicans crossed the aisle to vote against Obamacare. I'm sorry, 34 Democrats voted against Obamacare, which was remarkable. It was only the uh, votes of a few pro-life Democrats, like uh, Bart Supek and others, who got the law through. But the president was ebullient. He was so happy. He signed the law. He had these, you know, this, this gorgeous signing statement. And he was like, you know, this is the law of the land. And that was March 2010. So the law signed, you know, 2010. That's the end of the story, right? Right? No, otherwise my book would be one chapter. So a lot of other stuff happened. Within nine minutes, nine minutes of the ink drawing on the president's signature, Lawsuits were filed across the country. Josh Blackman's book is entitled Unprecedented. You can watch the full event at Cato.org.